0: Welcome to the Rolling Hills Community Church Sermon Podcast. Before we moved into the warehouse and expanded to multiple campus locations, Rolling Hills met in a movie theater. And now we're visiting the movies once again in our series, At the Movies. Whether it be a hero's journey, a villain's downfall, or a fairy tale ending, everyone loves a movie with a good story. But every good story borrows from God's story. In this series, we're looking at five different movies to see how we can find faith stories in film. Now let's tune in.
1: You smiling? Why are you smiling? Football's fun. You think football is fun? Yes, no. No? Certainly, uh, it was fun. Not anymore though, is it? Is it? No, not by now. No, it's not fun anymore, not even a little bit.
0: Zero fun, sir. All right. Coach Boone's school board made the decision to put you on my staff. I did not hire you. Well, I came up here to coach you. I didn't have to be assigned to your staff, so I guess we're both in a situation we don't want to be in. Dad, if the play like that,
1: we'll lose every game. But I can guarantee you this, Coach. I come to win.
0: We will be perfect in every aspect of the game. Get up, boy! Get up! Get up! Get up! Get up. still weak on the left side. We're not weak on the left side. It's not the problem. What is the problem? I don't need you up on my f- face on the... I don't care if you like each other or not, but you will respect each other. Each one of you will spend time every day with a different teammate. Does the term cruel and unusual punishment mean anything to you? We lose a game, they'll fire you. One game, just like that. What's going on? We wanted to let you know we was gonna warm up a little different tonight. We are the
1: Tyson.
0: I, I, Tyson. We Let these people know who's gonna win state,
1: Right. Right. right.
0: Greek mythology, the Titans were greater even than the gods. We're going to change the way we run. They ruled their universe with absolute power. We're going to change the way we block. That football field out there tonight, that's our universe. We're going to change the way we win. We don't let anything, nothing, come between us. We are changed.
1: Good morning to Rolling Hills. (laughs) I'm glad that you guys are here. And if you thought to yourself when you came in today um, that it's probably going to be a little bit centered on a football movie, because of the day that it is, you would not be wrong. Um, But I'll contend that this movie is about a whole lot more than football. I want to make sure that you all feel pretty humbled as we begin this day um, and help those of you who saw this in theaters like I do recall that it actually came out 23 years ago in the year 2000. I know, right? Just want to get us all on the same playing field, pun intended, as we start the day. I have this whole idea that I want us as a church, and if you're visiting for the first time and you're just checking this thing out for the first time ever, there's a couple of things that I hope that you walk away with today. One, I want you to know that when we say Rolling Hills Community Church, we mean it. This is supposed to be a church that builds community and that's for the community and that community matters. We have this whole idea when it comes to Christianity of this this personal relationship with Jesus and this, this private faith in this private religion? Well, I say hogwash, because the Bible doesn't teach that, and, and scriptures don't suppose that for us. They remind us that there's always supposed to be about our lives this concept of, of integrated faith, and so we asked ourselves a couple of questions this morning right on the outset. It's in your worship guide notes if you're a person that likes to follow along. How whole life integrated is my faith? Because if it's not integrated into every single aspect of your life, filtered down into every single aspect of your life, then that means it's a compartmentalized faith. And that means that you show up for church on Sunday mornings or you open your Bible on a regular basis and you have these moments and these opportunities where this is your faith life, but everything else is your everything else life, your your work life, your family life, your community life. Well, if it is true faith... And it really is in Jesus Christ. And if it really does seek to live out the virtues and the values that are exposed in this scripture, then it would be a faith that spills over and spills out into every single other area of your life. And the second question is this. How integral is my community of faith? Because I would say, you can kind of like tune me out after this if you need to. If community... Like Christ-honoring, supporting, encouraging, accountable, built-up community is not a part of your faith. I'm going to need you to define your faith. Because my hunch is that you don't have it. Community matters. Scripture teaches that we're to constantly be building that. In Acts chapter two, verse forty-two, it's it's a passage of scripture that we use as foundations as we seek to build what we just talked about—the life of the church. It says they devoted themselves. That's the Greek word proskartereo, and it literally means to adhere. It means to persevere. It means constant. Readiness. That means that these disciples were adhering to, they were constantly ready to talk about, they were able to persevere in the apostles' teaching. The things that the people who had hung out with Jesus were teaching them, they were stuck to it like glue. They were literally committed to it in every way. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, but not only that, to Fellowship. It wasn't just the word about Jesus that they were connected to and committed to and passionate about. It was the community of Jesus that they were connected to and committed to and passionate about. They were just as adhered to and persevering in and ready for community as they were for the teaching and to the breaking of bread and to prayer. I understand that the idea of an integrated faith is one that filters into every single area of a person's life. Integrated faith, when we talk about higher education is the idea that your faith and your knowledge connect, that they're not silos, that what you do, particularly in Christian university settings, it's not, oh, this is my spiritual development and my spiritual life, and this is my educational pursuits and my knowledge. They don't exist apart from one another. They're, they're integrated together, that somehow faith, our spiritual beliefs and our ethics and our knowledge, the education that we achieve and the degrees that we earn, they have deep connections. We don't, we don't isolate those two. So I say really readily, we do not want to get caught up in an either-or. Oh, this is my spiritual life, and this is the rest of my life. We don't want to get caught up in an either-or mindset, and we don't want to get caught in an upstairs-downstairs lie that somehow our faith exists on the bottom floor of the house, but when we want to go upstairs where the smart people are, that's where books and education know they're connected. They're connected together. We don't want to get caught up in one of those lives. It's not knowledge or community, it's knowledge and community. And so today we've been talking about the idea of the purposes of the church, and we've been building it off of the idea of movies. Rolling Hills began. 20 years ago, uh, first in an apartment clubhouse. Well, we can't do a series on apartments. We tried. Man, we tried to figure out, like, how could we do a sermon series that, that, that builds its attention off of apartments? And then we moved to a hotel ballroom, and we thought, searched high and low. Like, what are the illustrations that we could use from a hotel ballroom to build? No, but we spent five foundational, really formative years in a movie theater, in the hub of community, in the hub of culture, in the hub of People And so much of what happened in us that's still foundational for us happened in those five years in Cool Springs in Thoroughbred cinemas. And, and so we've built a series where we borrow some illustrations from popular movies, movies that people have seen and people have heard of. And even if you haven't seen the movies that we're talking about, if you still don't know what Endgame is, that's okay. If you never saw Remember, of the, Remember the Titans, I do encourage you to watch it because it's a great movie. And it stars Denzel. So let's just go ahead and get that out of the way. Like it's a good film. This idea of community, this idea of being a church that was for the community, started when we operated on Sunday mornings in the community, and that's who we are, and that's always who we're going to be. This picture of fellowship. If you read that in Acts chapter 2, verse 42, what did they devote themselves to? It's the Greek word koinonia, and it means association, participation, intimacy. It's a pledge, and it included the idea of generosity and contribution. They understood that fellowship meant that we were on the same team, at the same table, doing our lives together. And it comes from a word that means the partner, the people that you're with, the companion, the person that you share it with. And in the idea of the word fellowship, we have two things. It's what we have, the relationship, the community, the fellowship, but it's also who you're with. Who are you in community with? Who supports you? Who's who's your emergency contact? Who's the people that you want to notify when something really great happens or the people that you need to rally around you when something really tragic goes down? Who are the people that are spurring you on to to faith and good deeds? Fellowship is who is on your team and what kind of team you're on. And I'll say this, knowing full well that I often listen to preachers and sermons and podcasts and messages from other places, and, and folks do that for here. I'll say this knowing that we are building a church online community where people from around the whole globe are are tuning in and being a part of Rolling Hills Community Church. I'll say this. We can do a lot online. And there can even be an aspect of your community that's that's built online. You can listen to sermons. You can read or listen to podcasts. You can read great books. You can listen to Christian music on repeat. But what you do when you come in this place... Is you open yourself up to and you offer yourself into community. And I'll say this. When you come into this room, the person beside you matters more than the person in front of you. The people on your row matter just as much, if not more than the people that stand and lead up here. And so, when you come to this place, it is so much more than the words I say or the songs we sing. It's about the community that you build and the relationships that you forge. And if you understand that all the people on your row and all the people across the room and all the people upstairs are just as integral to building a church are just as important to this Sunday morning experience as anybody that stands on a stage and has to get here at seven o'clock in the morning to do anything else like so much more important than what you also have to recognize is that you yourself are just as important to this body of believers it matters that you're here It matters when you're not here. It matters that you're connected. It matters that you can name more than 10 people in this room. It matters that when you see somebody that you've never seen before in this room, that you take the next step to introduce yourself and to make them feel known and connected in some way. Who you are in this space, the songs that you sing and the prayers that you pray and the words that you write down and the connections that you make, can't happen when you're not here. They can't happen if you're not a plugged-in part of what's going on in this place. Scripture, we're going to dive into a lot of places this morning. Right fellowship is characterized in this early church and in this church by sacrificial unity and love. The continual story in the book of Acts is that those believers were devoted to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship. And it says in chapter 4, verse 32, that all the believers... All of them were in one in heart, and they were one in mind. That's mind-blowing, that all the believers were one in heart and and one in mind, and that no one claimed to have any of their possessions was their own, but they shared with every single one that they had. There's a phrase this morning, and I want to get you to repeat it, and I really hope that I'm not pronouncing it. Actually, let me just go ahead and say this. I'm 100% sure that I'm pronouncing it incorrectly, but you're going to repeat after me just the same. Umuntu. Good job. Okay, we at least got through the first word. Ngamuntu. We just spoke Zulu. And you, have, you just did that. Like, you just trusted me. You have no, like, I could have just told you that your mom is ugly. You have no idea. <laughs> like, you just repeated after me. Like, there was this sense of trust. I appreciate that trust, but you have no idea. It's, it's a Zulu phrase. This whole concept of ubuntu. It is the idea that people are interconnected with one another. It's shortened for that phrase, umuntu ngamuntu ngabantu, and it means a person is a person through other persons. It's the essence of humanity and it's the essence of community. Archbishop Desmond Tutu, he wrote this. One of the sayings in our country is Ubuntu, and it's the essence of being human. It speaks particularly about the fact that you cannot exist as a human being in isolation. It speaks about our interconnectedness. You can't be human all by yourself. Our author and seminary professor, Scott McKnight, sums it up by this. He says, Jesus didn't say personal relationship with God. He didn't, he didn't come on and said a personal relationship with God is at hand. No, he says, the kingdom of God is at hand. It was never intended to be about this isolated individual. We do that in the West real well. It's not intended to be this isolated personal relationship with God. He said that it was about the kingdom of God. He talked about a dream that would happen on earth that was the kingdom of God, and it was a society that flowed like rivers of good wine. And if you wanted to know how Jesus understood the Christian life, it started and ended with what he meant by the kingdom of God, which is never a single believer in isolation, never a single believer in isolation, but always one that's enmeshed in a community. The cool thing about movies this series, we've had a couple of fantasy ones over the first two weeks. We talked about Endgame, that's a Marvel movie. We talked about um, Star Wars, that's Not a Marvel movie, but both still fantastic elements of all sorts. Movies don't just paint for us a reality that doesn't exist, like all those fantastic worlds. They also paint a picture of what reality actually is. And, and that's what a movie like Remember the Titans, that's, that's based on actual events. It, it talks about the human condition. It makes people feel seen and represented and included. And it sometimes makes us aware of the things in this world that should make us uncomfortable. I do love that we're leaning into this movie because it's Super Bowl Sunday and y'all think it's a football movie, but it's not a football movie. In fact, there are tons of football movies that we could have picked. I love that we're leaning into this movie because we want to talk about fellowship today, and it's the idea of building a team and being on a team. But there's a ton of movies about cooperation and family and teamwork that we could have picked. At its core, this is a movie about racism and segregation. And not just because it's Black History Month or any, but because it matters that we have this conversation about what real community looks like And the stains that exist in our history when we were part of a people that did not understand what community was about. Because if we know that real community is characterized, real fellowship is characterized by sacrificial unity and love, we're going to dive into what it means to be a people of sacrifice we're going to dive in and understand what it means to be a people of cross-cultural, intergenerational, and interracial connectedness. Coach Boone, that's Denzel Washington. If you haven't seen the movie, he's famous. He becomes the head coach of a newly integrated T.C. Williams high school football program in 1971. And as part of their football camp experience, He he, Man, he does a whole lot of mean things to them that I don't think we would be allowed to do to kids today because it would be hazing and probably criminal because, man, that was a hardcore football camp. But he also takes them to where the Battle of Gettysburg took place. He takes them to a field. He says, hey, 50,000 people died on this field. It's stained with blood so that you guys can learn from each other. He also dives in and makes them share stories about themselves with one another. He says, let me tell you something. You don't let anyone come between us. Nothing tears us apart. I think about that aspect when I think about us on Sunday mornings, and I wonder what it would be like if we forced you. It would be so weird. It would be like elementary school or speed dating or something else where we made you sit with someone else than the person you rode here with. And we made you learn something about them before you left today. That's what he did when he integrated the buses, made kids sit next to each other who had previously never would have ever sat next to one another. And they built relationships. He forced them to learn things about one another. And that's an essence of fellowship, this picture that you and I know one another intimately and that we build this kind of friendship that supports us. In John chapter 13, 34, it says, a new command I give you. Like Jesus is talking about the commands that the Jews had always understood that they were supposed to live out following God, but he washes their feet and he gives them a brand new command. And he says, love one another as I have loved you, so you must love one another. And he says, by this, everyone will know that you're my disciples. We sing that like people will know that we're Christians by our love. People will know that we're on his team. People will know that we're on one another's team and one another's side if we love one another, right fellowship is characterized by sacrificial unity and love that often shocks and surpasses anything that the world and anything that we think is possible. In Galatians chapter 3, verse 28, it says there's neither Jew nor Gentile, slave nor free, male nor female. You are all one in Christ Jesus. If you're a person who has put their faith and their trust and their whole life into the idea that Jesus Christ died and came back to life, and he's the only way to have a right relationship with God, he's the only way to spend eternity in heaven, he's the only way to live as a part of the kingdom of God in the here and now, then you understand that there aren't divisions. You understand that there aren't separations and segregations. You understand that the relationships that you have with other people matter and that the hierarchy doesn't. I'll show you a picture. It's concentric circles. Some of you think that this is a subliminal message telling you to go shop at Target after church today, but it's not. That center circle in the idea of a Jewish social structure is the priesthood. They are at the center of absolutely everything that Jewish people did and everything that they believed in spite of the fact that they are completely taken over by the Roman Empire. And the Roman Empire would say, we are the center of the world and the universe. Jewish people understood that their priesthood was at the center of their world regardless of who was in control of it at the time. And that second layer, the people that are just under the priests are the Levites. Levites coming out of the tribe of Levi in the Old Testament Torah, one of Jacob's sons, they were responsible. They didn't inherit land of their own when they came into the kingdom, but they had a responsibility. And so they come next. And then followed by that, it's just Joe Jew. Just everyday average Joe Jewish person. Just the person, most likely the men, not necessarily the women, because we're not focused on them back in this day. It's literally just the people that are. Everyday, average, ordinary, trying to be obedient, dealing with what we deal with, Jewish people. Next was tax collectors and sinners. Okay, now this is where it gets kind of crazy. People who were tax collectors were those who had sold out their Jewish brothers and sisters and begun working and siding with the Roman authority. They were the people that were stealing money and abusing their own family and their own culture. They were the highest rank of all sinners in Jewish way of life. And so you have the priests, then you have the Levites, then you have average Jews who aren't tax collectors and aren't labeled as sinners. And then you have the tax collectors and the sinners followed by the Samaritans. And we read about the Samaritans when you go to John chapter 4 and you know that there was a Samaritan woman at the well that Jesus talked to. You read about the Samaritans in scripture when Jesus tells a story of 10 people that were healed of leprosy. And only one of the 10 came back to Jesus and said, Thank you for healing me. And Jesus throws in the detail as he communicates. And that guy was a Samaritan. And the reason that he threw in that detail was to tell his entire audience that the people that you think are the worst of the worst of the worst. They're after the tax collectors and after all of the other regular sinners are the Samaritans. And if we had time, we'd go back to the Old Testament and we'd kick it in the divided kingdom where the northerners were taken over by Assyria. And then all of those people intermarried with and priests came in and replaced their priests and they became Jewish half breeds. And we could talk about the absolute total all out hatred that Jews and Samaritans experienced with one another. We could talk about the absolute total all out hatred that caused them to divide up and make factions and divisions when they were rebuilding the wall in the book of Ezra and the book of Nehemiah. We can talk about the intertestamental period where those guys literally went to war and battle with each other, doing bad things. It's like college guys in their dorms, prank wars on the other kid's temple. All of that was going on for hundreds and hundreds of years. Even battles and attacks that were happening during Jesus' childhood, the Samaritans were the most hated people by any of the Jews, and then next came the Gentiles, and we just put up with them because they're non-Jewish and don't count anyway. It's really those half-Jewish, half-Assyrian people that are just the worst, and this is the hierarchy that they lived in, and so you get Paul, and he comes, and he writes, hey, there's neither Jew nor Gentile. And if there's neither Jew nor Gentile, slave nor free, male nor female, then he was breaking down every single one of the categories that they lived with in life. This picture of right fellowship that we're supposed to have as a church 2,000 years later, after all of the prophetic wisdom that comes from this book and after all of the incredible Bible teachers that have taught us what any of this means, we're supposed to understand and live out that practice of the kind of fellowship that shocks and surpasses. Passes anything that the world is capable of. It would be shocking for Paul's audience. It should be shocking for the world around us. Because sometimes the very best story, the very best movie, the very best TV show, the very best song, are the ones that shock us. And they're the ones that make us uncomfortable. Sometimes the best story is the most uncomfortable one. We understand that movies paint visual pictures sometimes of really uncomfortable realities. Well, that's what Jesus' parables did. We've landed in a parable every single week of this series so far, and the one that I spend the bulk of my time in today comes from Luke chapter 10. It's a familiar one, and if you guessed it because you were paying attention a few minutes ago when I railed about the Samaritans, it's that one. So it says in Luke chapter 10 on In verse 25, on one occasion, an expert in the law, listen, if he's an expert in the law, he's an expert on the concentric circles. This guy knows. An expert in the law stood up to test Jesus, that reveals his intentions. Teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? He wants to know what verses from the law Jesus is going to quote in this moment to talk about what's most important. Jesus had been asked by another legal expert. It's recorded for us in Matthew chapter 22. Hey, what's the most important command? And he said, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, strength, everything that you have. Love your neighbor as it was a bonus. Love your neighbor as yourself. And Jesus is going into a similar statement here. He asked him, he's like, what's written in the law? How do you read it? Like, how do you understand the words that are in this book? So the expert in the law stood up and said exactly what Jesus had said at one other time. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind. And love your neighbor as yourself. It sounds like we're in a spirit of agreement. Jesus said, you've answered correctly. Do this and you will live. Eternal life. It's yours. These are the things. But then scripture says he wanted to justify himself. And so he asked Jesus, who is my neighbor? catch 22, here it is. I'm going to find out which of the people on the concentric circles he tells me to elevate. I'm going to find out which of the people on the concentric circles that he tells me to include. I'm going to find out where Jesus draws his line. And if it's not where I draw my line and where the priests draw their line, I've got him. So in reply, Jesus said, it's a parable. It's a story a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho. And this is not the Jericho that you read about in the Old Testament. If you want to dive into deep Bible study, this is a Jericho that's just another city in their time of generation. It's not the one where the walls came tumbling. Joshua fought the battle of Jericho. Jericho, And the walls, it's not that one. We didn't blow a trumpet today. It's just a city that's about 18 miles away from, that's too far to walk in one day. I don't care how fit you are. And so there were inns and, and, and places to stay along the path. And it decreased in elevation a a little over half a mile and it was a rocky switchback kind of terrain and it was difficult to be on. And so if Jesus said a story, hey, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho, everybody in his audience, everybody in his context would have understood exactly what he was talking about. He was like, oh, that's a dangerous road. That's the wrong side of town. Everybody's got to take it, but you better with a group of people because there's robbers out there. They understood the context of this particular story. And, and so Jesus continues. He says, A man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho when he was attacked by robbers. They stripped him of his clothes. Y'all, that was a real bad day. Beat him and went away, leaving him half dead. A priest happened. A priest. Okay, this is it. This is where Jesus dives into our circles. The priest He's the center of everyday way of life. He is going to be the hero of this story. Those of us in the room who come from a majority culture, who live here in the United States of America, land of the West, the home of the free, the home of the brave, we may not recognize it, but we ought to. We understand what it is to be the hero of the story. Everything's always been about us. So here comes the priest. The audience is ticking. Oh, yeah, this is, the, this is the real hero of the story. And when he saw the man, he passed by on the other side. So too, a Levite. It's not the priest, it's the Levite. Okay, I get it, Jesus. You're not making the priest the hero of the story, but you're just going one layer out. You're making the Levite the hero of the story. It says a Levite. So too came. And when he came to the place and saw him, he passed by on the other side. Now, Catch-22, experts in the Old Testament law would understand that you're not supposed to touch blood, and that would make you ceremonially unclean. And these people had a responsibility as the priesthood and as the Levites in the community to never be ceremonially unclean. But there's a word in the story and the way that Jesus presented it saying that a person was going from Jerusalem down to Jericho. These guys had already done their priestly duties. They had already performed their worship sacrifice. Now they're heading back home to be with their family, and they would have weeks if not months, to ritualistically and ceremonially make themselves clean before God once again before they had to head back up that mountain on that same treacherous road before they had to perform those priestly duties again. So don't give me an excuse about how those guys had a responsibility to maintain purity in the community, and that's why they couldn't help the guy. They also, as experts in the law, would have understood that Exodus chapter 23 told you that if your enemy had a donkey stuck in a ditch, you better go help your enemy. Because scripture had always prescribed that this community of people to foreigners and strangers and to travelers and even to enemies must be a people of grace. It was central to their way of life. These guys knew the duty of the temple, but they also knew their duty in humanity. So then he, Jesus says, But a Samaritan. Hold up, Jesus. You started with the priest and then went, you went to the Levite. You need to say the ordinary Jew next. And if you're not going to say the ordinary Jew, we will suck it up and let you tell us that a tax collector was the hero of the story. You skipped two levels, Jesus. How are you going to make this about a Samaritan? But he did. And it was with good reason, he picked his characters on purpose. He says, but a Samaritan, as he traveled, came where the man was, and when he saw him, he took pity on him. You know the story. He went to him and bandaged his wounds, and he poured on oil and wine because wine was medicinal back then. Then he put the man on his own donkey, and he brought him to an inn and took care of him. The next day, he took out two denarii. It's like multiple days wages, and he gave it to the innkeeper and said, look after him. And when I return, I will reimburse you for any extra expense that you may have. These guys would have gotten on board. This audience would have gotten on board if Jesus had made the Samaritan the victim. And if the priest or the Levite or the average Joe, Jewish person of the day, or even the tax collector and the other Jewish sinners had been the hero of the story. We saved the day. We did our duty. It's what we always do. We helped the person who was hurt. And guess what? That person was a Samaritan. Jesus didn't do that. He didn't make the enemy the victim. He made their enemy the hero of the story. He made the enemy the guy who showed love. He made the enemy the guy who showed compassion. He made the enemy the guy who illustrated fellowship and even taught about salvation. I got to visit the, the Billy Graham Center last, or a couple of weeks ago in North Carolina. Do you know that? And this is a story that I didn't know about Billy Graham because I wasn't alive back then. I did get to see him on a crusade in Charlotte, North Carolina. And I think it was 1999. Did you know that Billy Graham in 1953 tore down the barricades that separated blacks and whites at his crusade and told them that he would not go on stage and he would not preach and he would never enter another crusade ground where people were segregated ever again. In 1957, he goes to New York City to preach at Madison Square Garden and he invited Dr. Martin Luther King to be the guy that came on stage with him and shared a platform and prayed. Do you know where he received the most opposition and the most criticism for those efforts? Church leaders. Christian school presidents. Two days after Billy Graham declared that segregation was immoral and unethical and incredibly unbiblical, it was met by a radio broadcast of a prominent Christian school president exposing all the reasons why this book says that the racist should not mix. Now, his kids, after that guy passed away, later came back and said that it was all wrong and and that he totally missed it, but it didn't make up for the moment. The most opposition and the most criticism that he received for being a person that believed in humanity were from other... Y'all see me doing air quotes... Anybody listen to this later during the week? I'm doing air quotes. So-called Christians. People who said that they had an integrated faith. So Jesus asked the question, okay, so which of these three do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of robbers? And the expert replied, you know, he couldn't even say the Samaritan. He just said, the one who had mercy on him. And Jesus says, go and do likewise. Likewise. I like going to the movies, I like preaching sermons and teaching Bible studies and listening to songs, and I do love TV. I'm just going to go ahead and confess that. Like, I got some shows, and I'm thankful for the DVR for so many years, and I'm thankful for streaming right now. Like, I like the stories, y'all. But the best way to tell a story isn't to stand on a stage and talk about it. It's not to sit on your sofa and watch it. The best way to tell a story is to live it out in your everyday life. So who's your neighbor? The person who needs you most. Who's your neighbor? The person who's the most unlike you. Who's your neighbor? The person that you don't even like. I have tried to come up with the best illustration that I possibly can that would take us back and connect. With this movie, there's a couple of characters in it who want nothing to do with each other at the beginning. They're actual men, um, Julius Campbell and Gary Bertier, the white football player and the black football player who were not excited about integration. And in particular, Gary Bertier made a spectacle of himself at the very beginning, saying that he was not going to play, he was not going to block, he was not going to defend, and he was not going to come alongside. But towards the end of the movie, these guys are best friends. And you can watch it, and it's a whole great deal. And something really bad happens to Gary at the end of the movie. And they're standing with each other, and Julius, the guy, looks at him and he basically says, Hey, one of these days, you and me are going to live in the same neighborhood. We're going to be neighbors. And all the black-white stuff, it's not going to matter anymore. People that had previously in concentric circles been known as enemies. People who had previously in concentric circles had been known as the one that was in the center and the one that was on the outside. We're going to be neighbors. And then he says, we're just going to get fat and happy and nobody's going to care about this anymore. And I'm saying amen to that. But they say this thing back and forth. Left side, strong side. And I have in about 72 hours tried to understand enough about football to get that and I present to you today someone who doesn't I don't know if it has to do with where the tight end is on the field and the fact that you have more people on that side than the other side and that's why it's the strong side I don't know if it has something to do with the blind side and the fact that the quarterback who is largely right-handed has the blind side behind him and so he needs really good defenders like I don't I don't even understand that. And please don't come to me at the conclusion of this service and try to explain it to me. Because i got another one of these to do at 10 o'clock. And I don't, or 10, I don't want you to confuse me. I think at the end of it, it literally just means we're on the same team. And we're on the same side. And the side that was previously seen as weaker is really the stronger side. Because we're committed to one another and we are together in this. I don't know because I didn't live back then if I would have been marching to Selma. I don't don't know because I didn't live back then. I would really like to say that in all those sit-ins and in all those picket lines and in all those marches that I would have been on the right side of history and the right side of justice. But I may have been A guy that was just sitting at home ignoring that it was all going down. And I hate even thinking about that. Because I don't want to be like the priest and the Levite who are always the center of their own story. Nick Allen, the universe is not about you. Like I don't want to be always at the center of my own story ignoring the things that are really going on in the world passing it by on the other side, going about my business. I want to be the one who engages. I want to be the one who gets sturdy. I want to be the one who builds community. I want to be the one who makes a difference. Who are you connected to? Who are you not connected to? Who has ever or previously been ignored by you? This idea of fellowship, it's not pizza parties and potluck and cornhole. It's who are you going to die for? Who are you going to get dirty for? Who are you going to show to the rest of the world that God loves and that you love and that community matters? I think it is the very best way that an outside unbelieving world will one day come to believe In Christ the King of this world. Would you pray with me? Jesus, thank you for today. Thank you for the chance to be in this place. Thank you for the chance to celebrate who you are and what you've done for us, the walls that you broke down, and the path that you made for us to know God and be connected to God and be committed to God. We didn't deserve it. We didn't earn it, and we don't we don't even represent it that well, God. I pray that you would continue to remind us how very crucial, how very integral, right sacrifice, right unity, right fellowship, shocking love, shocking community is. How very important that is to you, how very important it is among us, and how very important it is for the world to see. Would you help us to be a people who never, ever see the world and pass it on the other side. But who have pity, and who have compassion, and who have mercy, and who engage it from right where we are. We love you, Jesus. We thank you for this day. It's in your name that we pray. Amen.
0: Thank you for listening to the Rolling Hills Sermon Podcast. Share this episode with movie lovers, friends, and family in your life. Make sure you subscribe to be notified so you never miss a sermon. If you're interested in learning more about Rolling Hills, Download our Rolling Hills app, follow us on social media, or visit our website at rollinghills.church. The Rolling Hills Sermon Podcast is a part of the Rolling Hills Podcast Network, available on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and Google Podcasts. Thanks for tuning in.